All right, everybody, Logan Alex CPA here. Today, I want to update everyone on the discussion around DC statehood and whether that actually has a chance of getting through sometime this year or potentially later on in the Biden administration. A bill that would introduce DC as the 51st state passed the House representatives on Thursday, April 22nd, with a final vote of 216 to 208. And other than six representatives who did not vote at all, this bill went through exactly on party lines. In other words, there wasn't even one Democrat who voted against it or one Republican who voted for it. Of course, that's going to be the obstacle for Democrats throughout these negotiations. Anytime you want to add a new state, that's going to affect the balance of power. And it will be hard for them to sell Republicans on the idea of willingly diluting their own power in the House and the Senate. Now, there isn't much bipartisanship on Capitol Hill right now. That much is obvious, and this dynamic is nothing new. In fact, Congress was dealing with the same conflict when they were working on adding Hawaii and Alaska, and in that situation, adding them at the same time was the only way to get support from both parties. Now, you might be wondering why Washington, D.C. isn't a state in the first place, right? It has a larger population than Wyoming or Vermont, and one of the principles of our government is supposedly that everybody gets representation, right? So D.C. itself is kind of a weird exception. In fact, on D.C. license plates at the bottom, it says, in taxation without representation. So why isn't D.C. a state in the first place? Well, it all goes back to Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the Constitution, which explains the power to Congress. It says that Congress has the right to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such a district, not exceeding 10 miles square, as may, by session of particular states. Is this phrase right here that is a sticking point. This is saying that certain states may cede land for this district, implying that that land is in of itself not a part of any one state. So it says, by session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress, become the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the same shall be for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. So if you're aware of how Washington, D.C. Uh, became the nation's capital, you're familiar with the Compromise of 1790, uh, in which Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton convinced then-Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson and then-Congressman James Madison to permit the United States to take over state debts that racked up uh, during the American Revolution in exchange for locating the permanent national capital uh, somewhere in the south in our case, along the Maryland-Virginia border. And as a result, in July 1790, the Residence Act was narrowly passed by Congress, saying that the capital will be located along the Potomac River. This act was signed into law by President Washington as part of this Compromise of 1790. The Residence Act also gave President Washington the power to determine the exact location of the capital. It also set a deadline of December 1800 for the new capital to be ready. So, President Washington determined the exact location, of course, within the confines of the Residence Act. That location is, of course, now Washington, D.C. And on November 17, 1800, Washington, D.C. became our nation's new capital, where it has been ever since. So, true to the Constitution, remember, that session of particular states phrase, right? So true to the Constitution, Maryland and Virginia gave the territory uh, of, that became Washington, D.C. to the federal government. It was designated as a special area outside of the control of any state. And it was very important to the founders that the capital itself was kept separate from state governments. For example, in Federalist Paper Number 43, James Madison argued that you don't want any individual state 
to have control of the seat of federal government, or else that state could potentially be powerful, more powerful than other states just based on that fact alone. So instead, the nation's capital should be treated as a kind of uh, independent city that's separate from individual states. Of course, there weren't even 10,000 people in D.C. in 1800. Today, there are something like 700,000. Um, and D.C. residents could also vote for representatives in Maryland or Virginia up until 1801. So D.C. has changed pretty dramatically uh, since uh, the 18th century, right, in the early 19th century. And Democrats want to update the city's status to match its higher population, as well as its lack of representation in Congress. So the bill that was passed in the House recently would shrink the capital territory to essentially the federal buildings themselves and the immediately surrounding areas. And then the rest of D.C. would take on a new status as the 51st state. You can see that represented on a map here. So this would maintain the independence of the actual seat of government from any one state, but would provide statehood status for nearly 700,000 people that happen to live outside of this very small seat of government. Now, President Joe Biden has been relatively quiet on this issue so far. He didn't make it much of an issue during the campaign, but the Office of Management and Budget released a statement on April 20th indicating the White House's support of House Bill 51. OMB said, the administration strongly supports H.R. 51 the Washington, D.C. Admission Act. For far too long, the more than 700,000 people of Washington, D.C. have been deprived of full representation in the U.S. Congress. The administration calls for the Congress to provide for a swift and orderly transition to statehood for the people of Washington, D.C. Press Secretary Jen Psaki had previously indicated that the White House would be in favor of this plan, but this was the first formal indication that the administration is going to throw its weight behind the legislation and potentially put some pressure on senators to fall in line. Obviously, the question is whether or not they'll be able to drum up enough support to make that happen, and unsurprisingly, that's going to come down to the moderate wing of the Republican Party, uh, which will be a challenge, right, for the Democratic Party for as long as the filibuster continues to require 60 votes for most pieces of legislation. Democrats were able to pass the American Rescue Plan through the reconciliation process in the Senate, which only required 50 votes plus the tiebreaker from Kamala Harris, uh, but something like admitting a new state would have to be passed through the normal legislative process, which means it would be vulnerable to a filibuster by the Republicans. In other words, Democrats will most likely need their entire caucus on board, as well as at least 10 Republicans. And that's going to be an uphill battle given the current political environment. Now, the new D.C. state would be the most liberal state in the country. There's no question about that. Uh, but aside from those issues of partisanship, the main arguments that Democrats are making has to do with representation. Everyone who lives in one of the 50 states has the ability to vote for two senators uh, as well as a representative from their district. But if, if you live in Washington, D.C., then you don't have any representation in the federal legislature. D.C. does have a delegate in Congress. Her name is Eleanor Holmes Norton. But even though she is allowed to propose legislation, she doesn't actually get a vote as one uh, of the 435 representatives do. This is something that many people who live in D.C. are concerned about. They have the opportunity to vote on statehood in a referendum during the 2016 election cycle, and more than 75% of the voters indicated that they would support joining the union. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi spoke on this issue as the bill is making its way through the House. She said, Our founders built our democracy on a simple promise that every American should have a voice in our government, from City Hall to the halls of Congress. Washingtonians pay taxes, fight in our wars, contribute to the economic life of our country. But for centuries, they have been denied their right to representation. 
Congress is taking a significant step to enfranchise the people of D.C. with power to participate fully in our democracy. On the other hand, Republicans have struggled to come up with any kind of coherent messaging here. They haven't really found a way to explain why this one city should be excluded from representation in the legislature. So instead of talking about that, uh, they've mostly focused on the fact that statehood would increase Democratic power in Congress. Of course, that's true. Uh, as I said, D.C. would be a deep, deep, deep blue state. But at the same time, partisanship isn't a very convincing reason to prevent them from joining the union. Minority leader Kevin McCarthy, this is a top Republican in the House, for example, called this bill a scheme and a blatant power grab as only about two things, consolidating power and enacting radical policies. Well, okay, if D.C. wants to vote for policies that Kevin McCarthy thinks are radical, that doesn't really give him the right to keep them out of Congress just on that basis. And that's a problem that the Republicans are going to run into with D.C. as well as Puerto Rico if statehood for Puerto Rico gets any more momentum. Yes, you might disagree with the policies that those voters would support, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their votes are worth any less than the votes uh, of, say, McCarthy's constituents. Another angle um, that some Republicans have taken is that D.C. is too small to merit statehood. Uh, for example, Republican Representative Nancy May said it wouldn't even qualify as a singular congressional district, but that's going to be a tough argument for them, uh, given that D.C. actually has more people than, say, Wyoming, uh, which has a Republican representative as well as two Republican senators. One alternative that's been floated by Mitt Romney, Republican senator from Utah, would involve folding D.C. into Maryland. Uh, so D.C. voters would be able to vote, uh, you know, on the Maryland senators, and they would also be included in the calculations for congressional representation. So the district might not line up exactly with D.C.'s city limits, but they would still have representation in the House uh, like Americans in any other city do. Ultimately, that might be the most sensible option and perhaps the most feasible one as well, given the current balance of power in the Senate, at least for as long as the filibuster is in play. As I said, it's hard to see 10 Republicans voting to dilute their own representation. Senate Bill 41 has 44 co-sponsors. That's almost 90% of the Democratic caucus. But unsurprisingly, you won't see folks uh, like Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, or Mark Kelly on that list. And the Democrats can't get their own caucus fully on board for this. And it's probably going to be dead in the water before they even put it to a vote. On the other hand, Romney's compromise might seem like better than nothing for Democrats, right, who are pushing for full statehood. And that plan could also possibly get some support from Republicans who would be able to vote for equal representation in D.C. without conceding to additional Senate seats like they would in the standalone D.C. statehood plan. Obviously, this is all speculation at this point. It's hard to say whether progressives would actually go along with that watered-down version of the bill. But unless something changes, either with the filibuster or in the moderate wing of the Republican Party, full D.C. statehood has essentially no chance of making it through the Senate. First, they would have to get those last six members of the Democratic caucus on board, and then they would either have to get rid of the filibuster or somehow find 10 Republicans who are willing to vote yes. Until I hear more, I'm pretty confident in saying that neither of those things are going to happen, and even though the Maryland proposal could be a good compromise, I don't know if that's something that Democrats would support, even if some of the moderate Republicans were on board. So hopefully uh, that clears up some of your questions around this proposal. Yes, it made it through the House, but the most likely outcome is that it dies in the Senate or ends up shifting to some compromise that Republicans can stomach. As always, I want to thank everyone for watching to the end. I really do appreciate your support, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.